My name is Rich. Uh, I recognise lots of you, wouldn't know all of you. Uh, want to say a particularly warm welcome to you if you are new to our community. Uh, I recognise it takes a little bit of courage to come into any new community. I think that's true. I find that whenever I go to a new place. Um, and so if you've come to be among us this morning, perhaps for the first time, I want to recognise your courage, say good on you, uh, particularly when we think about what we're looking at this morning. We're looking at a, a question that's quite, uh, I guess, quite real, quite grounded, quite potentially quite raw for some of us. And so if you've come uh, to think about that question, I want to recognise your courage. Uh, it's great that you're here. And really, uh, I have one hope for this morning, uh, one agenda. I, I do have an agenda, but I just have one agenda And really, my aim for this morning is that you, whatever your religious beliefs, uh, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not sure whether you're a Christian, whether there's only one thing you know in life, it's that you're not a flipping Christian. (laughs) Whatever you feel about that, I have the same hope that you would get a deposit of strength into your real life from this morning. That somehow what we look at this morning through what I'm going to bring My friend Karen is going to come up and bring some stuff a bit later, and then we're going to have a QA and a time as well. And really, the whole point of that is that some strength for real life would get landed into you. Uh, This morning is not about this morning. This morning is about tomorrow and next week and 10 years' time. And the aim is that this morning would be a resource for you uh, that you can glean some strength from. Uh, That's the hope, because uh, we need to recognize as we get rolling, that uh, hard times, disappointments, hurt, do come in life. They have come in life. They, some of us will know them right now, and they will come in life. That is part of life uh, in, in this point in the story, isn't it? Uh, and it's not the only thing that's true. Uh, there are, there's joy in life. There's uh, beauty in life, isn't there? Uh, if, if we had eyes to see and we could get off our phone for a second, there, there's wonder everywhere in our universe. It's a wonderful thing to be alive, and yet it's also just as true that there's hard times. And uh, I want to give you a little heads up as we begin. Do you know the friends of Jesus are not immune to that? just want to say that up front. The point of this morning is not to give you all the answers. The friends of Jesus, when he was here on earth, were not immune to this. The friends of Jesus through the centuries have not been immune to it. The friends of Jesus in this room, and I count myself a friend of Jesus, uh, I follow Jesus, We are not immune to this. Uh, We're not immune to it. And really, uh, the the offer of the Christian faith is not to have all of your hardships wiped away, or at least not yet. There is a day coming in Christian thought, at least. I don't know what you think about this. But in Christian thought where it says, death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things, it says, have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making everything new. And there's a day coming when that happens. Now, however you feel about that, whether that is the the hope for your soul, or you think that is fictitious fairy tale nonsense, we can all agree on something. That day is not this day. That day when those things are gone and we no longer have to think about them, that's not this day. This day, those things are present in our life. And so to thrive or survive in this thing called life, we need to learn how to deal with difficulty, with hardship, with disappointment. 
And so to that end, what I want to do with you this morning is draw on uh, a story, a moment in two uh, friends of Jesus in their lives uh, from the Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life. I want to draw on uh, a pretty haunting, pretty heartbreaking uh, episode for two friends of Jesus. And then from that, I want to ask three questions. Uh, That's the plan. I want to ask, firstly, what is disappointment? Uh, Because if we want to deal with disappointment, we need to know what we're dealing with, okay? And I'm going to spend frustratingly long on that, because you all pretty much already know what disappointment is, and you're like, come on, tell us how to deal with it. Hopefully, when we can really see what disappointment is and why it affects us so much, that will really help us know how to deal with it. Uh, The second thing I want to look at with you is what doesn't help, Okay, Uh, we're going to look at a couple of common responses that unless we're really actively thinking about it, we will slip into one of those responses and they will damage us and damage those around us and they are no good and they're really easy to fall into. Okay, so we're going to look at those and then lastly at the end, uh, I want us to see then what does help. How can we actually uh, walk through disappointment? Is that okay? I hope to not disappoint you. Uh, I'm sorry if I do. So let's go to uh, our two friends first. There's this uh, haunting and heartbreaking moment. Okay, we meet these two people, and let me just catch you up on their lives. Uh, They're people just like you and me, and they've been walking with Jesus. They've been following Jesus, and they've been seeing him do amazing things, say amazing things, uh, raise the dead, calm the storm. They've seen this guy do phenomenal things, and they've left their friends and family to follow him and pursue him and go after him. He's their guy, all right? And uh, they've put their eggs in his basket. And because they're Jewish people, uh, because they're Jewish people, they have seen in him something even greater than that. They've seen he's going to be the one who we call the Messiah, the Savior, the one we can put our hope in. He's going to make everything right again, now and forever. And we've put our hope in this guy. But then if you know the story, Christian story, it all goes so horribly, horribly, horribly wrong Jesus is really in the space of a week turned from someone that is greeted with the welcome of a king to being spat at, mocked, flogged. He's betrayed, he's tried, he's arrested, he's crucified, he's buried. And it all goes so wrong. And uh, we meet these two friends of Jesus uh, a few days later uh, that has come, come to be known as the third day. Now when I say the third day, Some of you, because you're good Christians, some of you, you know what happens on the third day, right? And perhaps you've learned this from school or whatever. On the third day, you might know that Christians believe Jesus raises from the dead. He's up, he's alive, and problem solved, and he's alive forever, and there's hope forevermore. And you know that. What you need to see is, as we look at this story now, these two people don't know that yet. They're in the moment where they've just seen the one they put all their hope in murdered. They're dealing with the trauma of that. The shock of that. That's where we find them. So it's Luke 24, verse 13. Uh, Let me just read it to you. Two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. They're just processing it, discussing it. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? 
They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, He must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all these things that have happened there the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. Three questions. Number one, what is disappointment? Did you notice the three words that sum up disappointment in that story? Three words in verse 21. We had hoped. Now that is disappointment. That's what it is. Disappointment is about dashed hope. When they watched him die, they didn't just have to deal with his death. Because they had put their hopes in him, when he died, their hope died with him. And now they have to acknowledge and say out loud, I don't know if you've ever had to say this, we had hoped. That's disappointment, okay? It's what you feel in your stomach when reality is less than what you had hoped for. It's when you're expecting something to be one way and we find that it is another. I don't know if there's any mathematicians in, just trying to say this in a few different ways. Uh, Perhaps this equation will help you. Disappointment is when what I have experienced is less than what I had hoped. Or to give you another demonstration, which is going to be a little bit tricky, but let's do our best. Okay. Disappointment is when my reality, can you see that? Some of you can't see that. It says my reality. Okay, trust me. And then... My hopes, over here, it's when there is a gap between our reality and what we had hoped our reality would be like. And living in that gap is disappointment, okay? And this is why you can legitimately use the phrase disappointed for quite a range of human experiences. Um, When I was preparing for this talk, people kept asking me, what are you going to be talking about? Like Disappointment, is that like major stuff or is that like stubbing your toe like what what are you talking about and that, that's because disappointment is is this gap but it can be different depending on how big the gap is so you can have disappointment that kind of doesn't really matter right so I'd hoped that um that the weather would be sunny so that I could put my washing out and I I really hoped that that would be the case uh sadly though the reality is it rained and now I have to dry my pants another way. And that gap is disappointment, okay? But because it's a small gap, we can cope with it. We can deal with it. But then we can ratchet it up a bit. And you might want to say, well, look, now, actually, it's more serious than that. I hoped I'd get this job. I applied for this job. I did my application form. And I smashed it. And I sent it in and uh, got to the interview. And it was amazing. There was like this glint in their eyes and this glint in my eyes. And we knew we understood each other. And we shook hands at the end of the interview. And they said, we're very confident you'll be hearing from us soon. Okay? And you leave and you start planning your commute. How are you going to get to your new workplace? Because you've totally got the job. And then the reality is that you get home. And it's not even a personalized email rejection. It's dear applicant. 
your application was not successful. And that gap is disappointment. Living in the gap is disappointment. And then you can ratchet it up again. And this is where it gets, I guess, a little bit more raw. And this is where our hopes are to do with some of the most important things in our heart and in our life. Perhaps we had hoped that our, uh, our family would be healthy or that our uh, spouse would be a certain way, or that we thought that we might have a spouse, or that we might have children, or that this huge thing that I care about would go like this. We have our hopes. That can be in a whole range of different areas of life. And then the reality is that just really suddenly, you can learn that things are different, and there's a big gap. You get one call from the doctor, one diagnosis, and things are different. It can happen really suddenly, in a betrayal or something like that. Or it can happen really slowly, where we just wake up one morning and we kind of realize that the gap between what we had hoped things would be like now and how things are is huge. And it's very, very painful, okay? And that is disappointment. We all know it to varying degrees. It's living in that gap. Now, why am I laboring this quite so much when you already knew what disappointment was? Here's why. Because it hurts to stand in this gap, in the tension of it, and the, 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 the strain of it, because it's hard to live in disappointment, we tend to do two things that are really dangerous. And this is question number two. What doesn't help? Okay. And these are very understandable steps, but they are really dangerous. The first thing we do to try and ease the anguish and ease the strain is denial. And this is where we say, there's no gap. I'm, I'm completely happy. My reality is as I had hoped it would be. Thank you for asking. It's all great. And just as our friend Ross uh, in, in Friends who, with the help of more and more margaritas, despite having his heart broken, just keeps insisting, I'm fine, I'm fine, in a really annoying voice. And we can do this. We can say, no, I'm fine. Because it's hard to hurt for too long, isn't it? So we can just deny it. No, I'm okay. And uh, we can do that in a kind of stoic, stiff upper lip way. I'm fine. Or we can do that in like a Christian, happy, clappy way. I'm fine, right? But the reality is that though that feels like we're dealing with disappointment because it eases the tension, that is not dealing with disappointment. That is being defeated by disappointment. Because if you have to lie to yourself in order to survive or thrive in life, that's not a win. That's a defeat. That gives such power to your circumstances that you're saying the only way I can cope in this is if I pretend and live a lie. And that's not winning. That's not dealing with disappointment. That's being defeated by them. So the other thing we do is we don't deny. Instead of bringing our reality up to our hopes, we say that we despair. And this is where we bring our hopes all the way down to match our reality. And we say there's no hope now. Things could never be better. If denial says... I was stupid forever being sad. Everything's fine. Despair says I was stupid forever being hopeful, ever wanting more. 
ever letting myself be vulnerable. And so we lose hope. And at best, do you know what this does? At best, this leaves you feeling overwhelmed, totally crushed, really despondent, no hope. That's at best. And you know what happens at worst? At worst, this leaves you absolutely dead inside. Because you become the sort of person who says, I will not dare to hope for anything because you just get hurt if you hope. So I'm going to become closed and cold and cynical. I'm not going to pray those prayers anymore. I'm just going to, I'm just going to close up for self-protection. It's very understandable. But it's not dealing with disappointment. It's again being defeated by disappointment. It's, it's letting our circumstances again have all the power because we're saying they're too big to be overcome, that nothing could ever be right again. We have no hope. Now, guys, I have some good news. If that is the problem, and living in the gap, I have the solution. Are you ready? Yes, Sam. (laughs) Thank you. Number three, what helps? Now, here's the thing. Maturely dealing with disappointment... This is slightly bad news for you. It's not found in escaping the gap and releasing the tension of the gap and, and quickly fixing it. Maturely dealing with disappointment is learning to become the sort of person who somehow can stand in the gap with their head up and keep walking. That's how you deal with disappointment, is to become the sort of person who can stand in this horrible gap somehow with your head up high and keep walking. Still in touch with reality, not putting a positive spin on it, not denying your pain, and yet somehow still soft-hearted and still open and still daring to hope. That's the person who can deal with disappointment, someone who can stand in this gap. Now, the reality is that that's incredibly difficult, (laughs) an incredibly difficult thing. And none of us in and of ourselves know how to be the sort of person who can stand for very long in that gap. And this is where I want to draw upon three quick resources that come in the Christian faith that don't solve stuff but that make you the sort of person over weeks, months, and years who can stand. Is that all right? Let's take a look at them. I'm just going to move these music stands because this is getting in my way now. And there's so much music stand, there should be orchestral music playing or something, but there isn't. Let me bring this back so I can read my notes as well. So what does help? Firstly, I want to suggest that having somewhere to take the pain really helps us deal with disappointment. If we pent up our disappointment, we will become very bitter very quickly. It's a little bit like carbon dioxide. Uh, We need to breathe it out. We need to breathe our pain out. We need to have somewhere to exhale our pain and dump our pain and take our pain and pour out our pain in the midst of disappointment. And right now in our culture, many of us uh, tend to pour out our pain into that old chestnut social media. 
Uh, and we're full, rightly, I think, of respect for stars like Ariana, who, who pour their deepest emotions into Instagram posts and Twitter, and we praise them for their authenticity. And I think rightly so, in a fake world with fake celebrityism, to have a real celebrity is quite useful. So it's not all bad. But guys, social media was not designed to bear the weight of our deepest pains. Do you know that? It doesn't really ever help us in the way we think or feel that it might. It goes like this. We pour out our pain into the system, and we put it out there. We splurge it out there, and we await a response. And we wait. Is anyone listening? Is anyone listening? Is anyone reading it? What are they thinking of it? And then there comes the response. This is the best bit. There comes a response, and it's like sending hugs or like heart emoji. And it helps for 26 seconds max. And then you realize that actually, that doesn't solve it. And so if we're very, 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 very uniquely blessed in this culture to have something called close friends, we turn it to one another, like our friends in our story do on their walk. And they're chatting to each other about the pain. And that is a hugely positive thing. It's a hugely important part of dealing with disappointment. is having a community where you can genuinely breathe out your pain. And uh, that's important. But even in the most accepting of friendships, the most wise of counsel, the most perfect of communities, we are going to get sometimes misunderstood when we speak out our pain and our disappointment. Anyone ever had that experience? I've been on both ends of that. I have been misunderstood and I've deeply misunderstood people. Some people are gonna uh, get scared of our pain and our mess and run away. Perhaps you've known that experience. What we all actually crave is someone to hear us, get us, understand us, be with us, not offer us an insensitive response, not run away, someone who's big enough to take our pain, however big and ugly and messy it is, and stand under the weight of it and be strong enough to hold it for us. That is what we want. And that is essentially one way of describing praying to God. Do you know it's Jesus on that walk with those two grieving, shocked, disappointed friends, he kept doing something really irritating. Perhaps I'm the only one who gets annoyed at this. I find this so annoying. He starts asking them questions that he already knows the answer to. Do you see there? So he goes, what are you talking about? And he's the resurrected son of God. So he knows what they're talking about because he like invented their mouths. So he knows already. And then they say, we're talking about the execution of the Messiah. Remember? And he goes, oh, tell me a little bit more about it. And you're like, oh, Jesus, you're so irritating. Why is he doing that? Jesus is doing that, I want to suggest, not for his sake, but for their sake. Jesus is, I think, giving them an opportunity to articulate what's happened to someone. He's saying, what's happened? Tell me about it. Come on, what really happened? The things that happen, no, tell me, come on, tell me, breathe out your pain. He's inviting them, I think, to something called lament. It's an old word that we don't really use that often in at least white Western culture. It's where we take pain, complaint, sorrow, anger, and disappointment to God, and we vent it out to him. 
And you say, I can't do that. You can't approach God and vent and say stuff that you're angry at. I invite you, my good friends, to read the Psalms. Have you ever read the Psalms? There are things in the Psalms that would make your skin crawl if someone prayed them out in between songs two and three here on a Sunday. (laughs) Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Psalm 44. Wake up, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Get up. Do not reject us forever. Psalm 88, Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? Translation, why have you turned your back on me, God? You know, no one in the Bible is told off for bringing their pain to God. I would want to suggest Christians are the only people with a God who invites them to yell at him. And though for Christians it must never ultimately stop there and in the end perhaps over decades must dare to move through to trust you don't jump to trust the way you get to trust and joy is lament you don't skip to the end of the story and say everything's fine you breathe out your pain to God and he will help you trust him in the healing process and uh, just to flag up tonight we're actually going to give ourselves to this Uh, We're going to gather to pray, and each uh, prayer meeting this term, we've been looking at one aspect of prayer and trying to grow in it. And uh, tonight we're going to try and grow and practice the practice of lament, breathing out pain to God. And uh, you won't be forced to do that in one particular way that suits one particular type of personality. If you are not a wailer, you do not have to come and wail. If you're a whaler, you're invited to come and whale. We're going to learn together. We're going to lament some stuff in our city, some stuff in our world. And then there's going to be a time with music on loud, so no one's listening, to breathe out some disappointment to God. I want to invite you to come uh, this evening, Central House, to practice lament. Let me just close with two further things that I think really help us in this disappointment gap. Secondly, you get the closeness of God. When you're in the disappointment gap, it can feel like, for all the world, like God has gone. Like he has gone. Like you're shouting in the dark, and he has left you. I want you to notice something in our story. Think about it. As those two friends are walking away, full of trauma, full of grief, full of shock, they are actually actively discussing how God has left them. He feels like he has never been more absent Everything's gone wrong, and he's nowhere to be seen. And yet, think about it. The resurrected Jesus comes to them, and he has probably never been closer to them at any other point in their life. They just can't see it. You know, sometimes it feels like God is far away, but we get promises in the Bible that says, even when it feels like he's not here, in darkness, he is closer than ever. And that doesn't solve everything, but boy, does that help to have our creator say, I am with you. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. We get his presence. Sometimes, you know, it's too dark to see that God is closer than ever. Sometimes it is too dark to even see that God is closer than ever, but he is. He is. And so... 
whatever else is far away, as a Christian, you have the hope that God is near. When we're in a room on our own in a hospital, and it feels like all help is far away, he is close. When a family member is no longer with us, and he's far away for whatever reason, he is close. In a long, slow, evolving experience of disappointment where things we longed for seem like they have been taken from us and are now far away, he is close. And that doesn't solve it, but it helps. It helps us deal with it. And then lastly, I'll end with this. I have the confident hope that the gap will close one day. The reason I don't have to close the gap in denial or in despair is because one day my God has promised me that he will truly close the gap, where he will take my reality, not in denial, and he will move it up to be exactly like I'd hoped. In fact, he'd take my hope and raise my hope, and he'd chuck them both out there in the car park, and he'd make our hopes bigger than we could ever imagine. And our reality comes up to in line with that, because he says that one day he will Wipe away every tear, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things are passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. I don't have to close the gap, though I want to, in denial or despair, because one day God will close it in the most awesome way, as I experience in full the deepest hopes of my soul forever. Now imagine if you are two friends and you are walking along the road. Imagine if you knew for certain that the, Jesus was going to rise from the dead and that there was going to be a new dawn, there was going to be hope beyond the grave. Imagine if, you knew, if they knew that for certain, what would their walk be like? I think their walk would still have sorrow in it. They've just seen their friend die. I think it would still have a ton of trauma in it. I think it would still have an awful lot of shock in it and a huge amount of questions in it. And I think it would solve all of those. Do you know what would also be in it, though? Hope. And that helps.